In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. Romans, countrymen, fellow space people. Yeah, that wasn't good. But we're here again <laughs> for our second, our second half of our total fandom Battlestar Galactica discussion. We're happy to be here. And like we mentioned in the first half, this half is going to be just as much, if not more fun. And they, they might be some debating. Not between us per se, but with with between us and what other people have said, because we're going to get into what our favorite episodes are and what some other folks that we have never met say their favorite episodes are. So is there anything you want to touch on before we do that? Other than the entire reimaged was composed, the music was composed by a man named Bear McQuarrie. Big genius. Yes, that man. There are so many TV shows that he has done the music for. Outlander. The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. A bunch of other ones that I can't think of at the moment. <laughs> but Bear McQuarrie has, the man is quite quite a genius. So I'm going to yeah. go ahead and play uh, the theme song. And this time you'll notice that I didn't just jump scare Kenyatta by just blatantly pushing play out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. anyway you'll notice that this one is just a smidge different but it's perfect for the reimaged series so here we go still gives me chills man <laughs> yeah like i'd be so i'd be so gassed when i hear it even when i rewatch it i'm still gassed and i think from either the first or the second episode of the first regular season they would show the number of survivors at the top of the episode they would do yeah. like a recap of the previous episode and then they would show the number of survivors and just to give you an idea, the beginning population, which was first shown, like I said, I think it was episode one or two, was 
50,298 souls. At the end of the season, by the time they landed on what will become their new earth, the Indian population was 39,406. That's it. It's all that was left of humanity. That's it. Yeah. And the cool thing about that number two was an episode might go by and they didn't show anyone dying. Nobody died. But sometimes the number would go up because babies were born. So they also included the, you know, as new people were being born in that number, which is kind of a, a cool thing that honestly they didn't have to do and no one would have noticed. And they made it a point the first time that happened. Um, I think the president is on her ship and this is when she still had Billy. Billy was alive still and he was still Mm -hmm. her aide and he came to tell her, you know, such and such had a baby on such and such a ship and she smiles and she takes her, her little dry erase marker and and changes the number on the board to one more. Yeah. Like that was, it was a big, you know, we've, we said this before, I think offline when we were talking about doing this episode, it was a big deal for people to still reproduce and have more people. Cause literally this is the last, can you imagine there being just 50,000 people left or by the end less than 40,000? That's the size of a a medium sized city now. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Sort of what we were talking about, you know, so many real world things were filtered through Battlestar Galactica in a way that's different. For example, abortion. I'm not going to go into what a person's viewpoints here, you know, on abortion, however you view it, that's not necessarily important. Other than in this show, all of a sudden that is a huge thing because if you want humanity to go on and your population is under 50,000 people, do you still allow for abortion? Mm-hmm. And if I remember that particular episode at the, at the time the attacks happened, the policy was pretty much across the colonies that it was legal. Yep. But by the time this episode happens and I can't remember how the young lady got pregnant. I can't remember the circumstances, but you know, the president gets wind as she's talking about trying to find a doctor who will perform the procedure. And she's like, because, you know, personally, and the actress herself, uh, Mary McDonald was uh, pro-choice. Yeah. And it was said that she had a problem with that particular episode because it was hard for her to play a character who was pro-life in, in the sense that it was at the time. So that was a tricky subject. Yeah, they handled about. it really well. They did. I think they did. Like I said, they had the the people that, you know, basically it came down to the president and um, Adama. They were they were responsible for these people and they had to make hard, hard decisions sometimes. Very hard. So, yeah, with that, we're going to get into some best ofs. I did a completely unscientific (laughs) survey. of nine different random web- websites that cover, you know, shows like this. And I pulled up these folks' best of episode lists and compiled to see what the, you know, common highest rated best episodes were. So here's the list as compiled from these random websites. Number one, Exodus, part one and two, which was season three, episode three and four. And at that time, the uh, the folks were on New Caprica, 
And they were under silent occupation at the time because the silence had finally, they managed to hide from the silence for a year. And what happened, and they explained it somewhere in the early in episode three, when the silence show up, that at the end of season two, there was a storyline where a nuclear bomb goes off and explodes one of the ships. The light from the bomb reached the Cylons a year later. And that's how they got wind of where human the humans had finally settled down and they finally caught up with him, took the plan over and said, no, nah, we got this. So those two episodes, out of these nine sites, that one was listed most often as being their favorite one. I can see why. We, we right. discussed this, you know, offline. Those, those were fantastic episodes. Number two was the three-part Daybreak, which were the last three episodes of the series. And those, la- those last episodes were a little controversial for some yes. folks. We'll get into that in, in a minute. Um, but going through further into the list, number three, Lay Down Your Burdens. That was an interesting one. That was season two, episode 20. Number four was Pegasus, season two, episode 10. Revelations was number five, season four, episode 10. Number six was the two-part Cobalt's Last Gleaming. I believe that was the season one finale, episode 12 and 13. Number seven was Unfinished Business, one of my personal favorites. Season three, episode nine. Number eight, 33, season one, episode one awesome yeah that one's probably my favorite yeah that's definitely on my list number nine blood on the scales season four episode 14 number 10 downloaded season two episode 18 so those that was the consensus off of the lists that i found what do you think of that you know i guess i can i can hint i can be okay with that list I might have put them in different order. Obviously, I think uh, 33 should have been higher mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on that list because every person that acted in that episode, the sheer exhaustion that they were all in was so completely well played. You would look at one of the pilots of the Vipers and think, that person is exhausted. And that takes a decent amount of acting skill to look exhausted all the time. You know what I mean? You you can see shows where someone is acting and their character is supposed to be, you know, just exhausted beyond comprehension. And you're like, yeah, they don't really come off that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not the case in, <laughs> in 33. So for me, I would have had that one higher. Otherwise, I don't know if I necessarily see just a huge flaw in what those other nine people put together other than yeah. that. Your thoughts? You're right. Um, I agree. I agree. I would have rated 33 higher. I was surprised that, you know, a lot of those lists had it not in the top five. Like that sets to me, that sets the the tone for the entirety of the series. Yeah. Like this anxious, frightened urgency that they all have the entire time. And even when, you know, they're smoking or drinking or partying or doing whatever else, that's always there. That's always underlying everything that they do. This anxiety of, are we going to make it? And it was so much more heightened at the beginning, obviously, because they had literally just come out of the attacks. This was like two or three days after the attacks happened in the miniseries. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're finding out that no matter where they jump to, 
the Cylons are right behind them 33 minutes later. Yes. So, and, and the other amazing thing too is the last, what, four minutes of the, sh- of the episode is Adama and President Rosalind having to make the exact same choice that George W. Bush had to make on 9-11 because he had to order U.S. fighter pilots that if uh, the the plane that ended up crashing in Pennsylvania because the hostages took over the plane and crashed it, had they not done that, though, there were orders from U.S. fighter aircraft that they were going to have to shoot it down to protect Washington, D.C. because they knew where it was headed. And that is completely at the end of this episode. It's interesting you mentioned that because that correlates to one of my current favorite TV shows and has recently become one of my favorite graphic novel series, uh, The Boys. What they didn't show in the show, but they had in the graphic novels, was manufactured story around the 9-11 text where these superheroes supposedly go in to rescue people they foul up the entire process. They are the ones that crashed one of the planes. Yep. But, you know, the people that own the boys, so I mean, that own those superheroes had to bury the story. And it's it, it was wild to see that reimagining of, of that huge tragedy to know that, you know, they talk about it in the story as well, how the president, you know, in the books was saying, you've got to shoot it down. And Someone was getting ready to shoot that plane down until the superheroes got there and completely effed it up. It, majorly. It's, majorly. It's it's interesting how often, it's not surprising, but it's interesting how often that great tragedy has worked its way into so many fictional scenarios. So I Yeah, just yeah. That. And just based on when this came out, I would have to assume maybe that it was probably one of the first fictionalized versions where something that took place on 911 was uh, put on film, you know, used as kind of an inspiration. I don't know if that's the correct word for it because it's not a good yeah. inspiration. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, since Kenyatta and I obviously talked beforehand that this is one of our favorite episodes, I did go and um, – cut up sort of the last few minutes to sort of show you the the tension and everything that took place at the end of this and it's i think it's like four or five clips but we were going to play like 15 20 seconds and then we were going to sort of discuss what was going on so if you're ready to do that um i can hit play Mm all righty here's the uh that first bit boomer galactica Your orders are to jam all transmissions from the Olympic carrier. No further voice contact is authorized. Roger that, Galactica. Boomer, Galactica. Orders are to send the Olympic carrier the following message by signal light. Message begins. Maintain present position. Do not, repeat, do not approach the fleet until further notice. Message ends. I'm getting a bad feeling about where this is headed. So am I. If the ship poses a threat to us, we have to eliminate that threat. So that's uh, part one. <laughs> so let me just say that uh, Duala, um, the communications officer on the bridge, she was one of my favorite reoccurring characters, too. And I personally feel 
some kind of way at how dirty they did her character. Yeah. I do. I just, I can't, I can't forgive them for that. <sighs> yeah. Cause once again, they had the character kind of, I don't know if she actually, if they ended up being married, but with somebody sort of as a convenience. Yeah. And yeah. one character liked the other one a little more than the other. Like, and I, I, I imagine them breaking up was part of, you know, what happened to that character, obviously. But I just, I just feel like the way they painted her, I feel like she would have been able to work through it. But I agree with you 100%. Yeah, that combined with what she, I guess she felt like the hopelessness of what was happening at that point, I think may have supposedly was their justification for driving her to it. But I just, I hate it. I hate that what they did to her. I, yeah. That's all I had to say. Mm. Yeah, no, no I, I agree with you 100%. Um, but this definitely puts in that hard choice. Um, that they're going to have to make with the Dama pointing, pointing out, well, the hard choice that they're going to have to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to go ahead and play this next little bit. Uh, I sort of edited out, you know, it's like a six minute scene and I edited out probably four minutes of it, five minutes of it, maybe. But um, so here's this next little bit. I suggest that we evacuate the passengers and destroy the ship. It's also a problem if they're tracking the ship. What if they're tracking one of the passengers? Which sets up, how are the Cylons knowing where they are? They know that it has something to do with the ship, but is there a tracking device on the ship? Or is there some sort of spy, something like that, on the ship? Which, of course, we know there were because there were the human... Cylons, and there were some that were on the ship that were actively giving their position away. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they yep. didn't know that. <laughs> no, no. And how many people were on that? It was like uh, a couple thousand or something. I, yeah. It was a goodish number of people on that ship. Yeah, somewhere between a thousand and two thousand. I want to say maybe in one of these other uh, clips that I'm going to play, they mentioned that number. So, uh, in the future, you may hear that. <laughs> But yeah, so kind of as they go on and then, you know, the scenes going back and forth between them on the bridge, talking about that, some stuff that have to do with the pilots in the ship and some other scenes that weren't sort of, you know, necessary to what's going on here. This next clip is a smidge longer, but here we go. Yeah, suddenly nobody's home. Starbuck fire a burst across their bound. Copy that. Like Galactica know, we have a problem out here. Commander, message from Boomer. The Olympic carrier is heading directly for us, sir. They're refusing all orders to stop. So there we go. <laughs> oh, boy. Just even listen to it. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. Um, one thing I probably should mention, you might hear, it's either this clip or the next one. Um, a character mentioned something called the Dratus. That is just the Battlestar Galactica version of radar. So that is that is all that is. And it may actually be this clip I'm about to play. So here we go. Order the fleet to execute jump 240. Get us between that ship and the fleet. Commander, Dratus contact. Strike that. Multiple Dratus contacts. Hit the silence. 
Cylons on an intercept course. They'll be in weapons range within two minutes. Radiological alarm! Radiological alarm! From where? The Olympic carrier, sir. They've got nukes on board. Madam President, we have to eliminate the Olympic carrier immediately. There are 1,300 people on that ship. We don't know that. Cylons may have captured them already. It was 1,345 to be exact. But that's still yeah. horrible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, and gosh. Um, sort of if we were listening to that clip, I realized that almost in terms of another character is Bear McQuarrie's music. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like it sets the mood. And let me just say, and I, I don't even know why I forgot to say this when you played it. I call him genius because both for this show and The Walking Dead, which is the only two shows that, uh, that he scored that I watched you know, obsessively. He, had, he has a knack for creating atmospherically appropriate scores, especially yes. with the opening, the opening things. This one, you've got your, your sense of spiritualism. It sounds almost like a religious chant at the beginning. Yeah. Then you've got the tribal drums that come in. Like all of that is just that's the 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 flavor of the show that you get. He's is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it is definitely a drum heavy show in terms Especially, of the music because you get it when there's battle scenes you get the yeah. drum yeah you get the drum drum based scores with the battle scenes and stuff like that yeah and uh putting it you know you putting it with tribal is exactly what he pulled from and yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> totally, totally perfect he's a genius <laughs> yeah um so this next one's actually only like six seconds but i'll go ahead and Uh, play it real quick look at this point there's no choice it's either them or us so once again there's that Mm -hmm. that choice of the military person having to point out to the civilian we we're gonna have to do this and it's a choice you don't ever want to have to make and while adama's pointing it out and saying we have to do that he ultimately is saying hey you're the president you're the one that's going to have to make this call because it's civilians and the actions and there probably aren't too many people alive that have had to make that choice. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it, especially when, you know, as been as as is the theme of the entire show, only having so many souls left. Yeah. And you have to make the decision because you don't have time to uh, get them all board other ships. You don't know which one of them. Is relaying the information. You have no idea. Yeah. You literally have to uh, do a scorched earth approach. It's horrible. It's horrible. But, yeah. Um, what's your your next clip? Um, this next clip is sort of how it ends with everything. Um, it is a little longer, but it had to be. It's the conclusion of this. So uh, uh, here we go. Do it. We have new orders. We are directed to destroy the Olympic carrier and return to Galactica. It's a civilian ship. Yeah, a civilian ship with nukes. I don't see anybody in there. Do you? The 
Zions will be here any second. If we're gonna do this, let's just do it. Starbuck, form up with me. We'll make one pass from astern. See what if you're wrong? Okay, fire on my mark. No frackin' way, Lee. Lee! Come on! Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hope for that just being an audio clip from the actual scene though that based on sort of the build up to that you're able if you've never watched the series to pick up on the build up and just how dramatic that is and then once again with that soundtrack being a almost an extra character and the way they're having those drums hit as they're discussing it and the pilots, the fighter pilots, you know, having this oh my god, we don't want to have to do this. We don't want to have to do this. And that was one of the reoccurring themes of the series afterwards was how much shooting that ship down affected uh, Apollo. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like he had bad. He had a bad way to go. He did. He had. I mean, there were several instances where you know you could see him going through it. Really, all the all the major characters. But yeah, it, it got to him. And the episode, as we mentioned. Um, it has to do with, you know, them being pursued and caught up with every 33 minutes. And at the point that we um, come in on the episode, they have already, the fleet has already jumped a total of 130 hours in 237 jumps, which meant they had been on the run for days, a week, mm-hmm. give or take. And according to the notes um, for this episode, the the showrunner and creator's notes they picked 33, not for any particular significance, but because it was enough time, apparently, for people to do little things like eat, clean up, but not long enough to take a good nap, not long enough to collect your thoughts or rest. And that's why it was so jacked up the way the characters were by the time we come in and see them. They've been going through this for days, like you can see, like you say, you can see the exhaustion was all over them, not just physically, but the way they acted. And some people were short-tempered. Some people were anxious. Everybody was scared. And then there was frustration and anger. They didn't know how it was happening. And then they finally get to it and they realize what the cause is. And it's a heartbreaker. And oh, this yeah. happens This happens to be the episode, as I look at the, the wiki on this, this happens to be that very episode we were talking about earlier where um, the first child is born into the fleet after the attacks. So President Roslin updates the board from at the beginning of the episode was 49,998. She has to update the board at the end to 4,973, but that was the birth of the first child. So that was maybe a, probably a bright spot at the end of this episode because it was very yeah. dark. And, and like I said, it set the tone for the rest of the show. Like, how do you have, how do, can you make these choices again and again and again? 
with other people's lives because you have to look out for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that in that clip that is sort of happens is where Adama says, you have to get us between this and the rest of the fleet. That is a reoccurring theme throughout the entire show. Cylons would show up, find them. And being the only military ship, the Galactica would basically put itself between it and the rest of the fleet while the rest Mm -hmm. of the fleet was jumping and trying to escape to the next rendezvous. And that is something that's pointed out. Every time they would come to a new spot, they would immediately put in a new location to jump to Mm -hmm. coordinates so everybody could... uh, Emergency jumps. Right, because they obviously use uh, faster than light travel. Um, In the sci-fi nerd world, that's called FTL. But (laughs) Um, There was an episode, I can't remember which one, where they had... There was a, a number of ships in the fleet that did not have FTL. So they had to evacuate everybody off of those ships onto mm-hmm. the remaining ships. I can't remember what episode that was, but it was in, that was an interesting thing to note that, you know, that at the at the time those ships were being built, there was no thought as to whether or not every ship that existed needed to have that because not right. every ship needed to have it. And now you get to a point like this, and you're like, "Good God, this was something we took for granted, and now we realize." It w- it turns out to be a, a life saving thing, but who who could have known? Yeah, and in the miniseries, if you recall, um, just because of the way things had been, they didn't really actually do FTL jumps. They didn't need to, and right. so there was that part where they're like, "Well, is it even going to work?" Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "We don't have a choice. <laughs> we're about to Pretty find much. out. <laughs> if it doesn't work, we're not going to know." So at least there's that. <laughs> there's that. that. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's a wild thing when you really stop and think about how often they touch they touch back on the same type of same type of things over and over again. And it doesn't they don't really wear it out. You know, you don't see the same things happening over like, you know, they're not hard pushing certain points. They just remind you over and over again. This is just part of being human. Yeah. These kinds of things and these kinds of decisions. So, yeah. Excellent episode. I'll, yeah. I'll never say it's not. Excellent yeah. episode. And it was just like you're. You're saying something like that would happen and then it becomes a theme of the show, but it was like a background theme that's just like, you know, us going to work every day, you yeah. know, getting stuck in rush hour traffic. It was like, they point out, oh God, this sucks, but then oh, it's just a thing that we just have to do now. It's just yeah, part of our a, every day. It's a, it's the new norm. It's the new norm. So um, one of my favorites off of this list, and I think we agreed on it earlier, is Exodus. Um, and that was the two-parter, uh, let's see, season three, episode three and four. That's one of my, like I said, that and 33 are right there at the top of my list. Like you can't not tell me that, that escape plan that they, they came up with and, and pulled off was not like one of the best things ever, Mm -hmm. ever in television history. I don't care. I don't care ever in television history (laughs) ever. Yeah. So, yeah, I just and to see everybody, you know, all these characters that you had seen up until this point in different different positions and different levels of authority. Now, most of them are kind of minimized like Adama's still he still got control of the Galactica because that's only because the Galactica and the Pegasus got away. Yeah. And Adama decided he didn't want to stay on New Caprica. He's the captain. He's going to stay on the ship. And, you know, his son, he had given control of the Pegasus to his son. So, you know, Lee's over there getting depressed and chubby. 
and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, he was he was eating a lot of uh he, space he twinkies good. he was he eating a good. lot of space twinkies <laughs> a lot of space oreos were being eaten by <laughs> apollo good. so by that time i think they had been on new caprica for a year and four months give or take because the Cylons had 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 control of the planet for four months, and it took them a year to find uh, the fleet. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Would it be okay since you brought up Pegasus to uh, mention what was the Pegasus miniseries? Razor or was Razor the? Yes, Razor was. It had a completely different character that was a crew person on Pegasus, but it did involve like the backstory of what happened to the Pegasus between the attacks and up until they caught up with Galactica. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are some important things that they threw into there, which um, I feel we need to talk about, but I am going to throw a trigger warning out there because it does involve right. um, rape and mm -hmm. uh, the physical abuse of men hitting women. Mm -hmm. And, um, so basically it starts out there's the captain of the pegasus um captain helena drawn a blank um but she's it's right there it's right there <laughs> played by uh is it paula black claudia black who was in um she's been in all sorts of science fiction shows wait you're talking about who played the captain of the yeah. pegasus wasn't that um, claudia that black was, no was michelle uh michelle oh man i'll pull it up in anyway a second. i'm i'm probably confusing somebody but anyway in the the pegasus the captain is <gasps> a lesbian good god no michelle forbes that's the actor thank you thank her. you and admiral, she was admiral helena kane yes and she mm -hmm. was having um a relationship with one of the sixes mm-hmm mm -hmm. after the Cylon attack, uh, the Pegasus just happened to be far enough out that it was able to jump and escape. But no, the Galactic... They were, was it that was, it? They, no, they were offline. They were on, they were getting repairs done, and they were offline off the network. That's the only reason they survived. <clears throat> so anyway, they escape. All right. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Whatever the, the mean is, you know, sometimes there's a lot of sci-fi stuff stuck in my head. Things sometimes get jumbled up. It's okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I can't math, but, you know, I know Star Wars. Anyway, so they escape, but the Galactica and the rest of the fleet does not know that Pegasus is around. And then they discover what's going on, and they find the Pegasus. And the Pegasus is a more modern ship. It's only like 10 years old, something like that. It's like two mm -hmm. and a half times the size of the Galactica you know, all the new weapons, all of the things. And I'm so when they find the Pegasus, because at the time, Adama was only still a commander. He was not Admiral Adama. Right. And for whatever reason, I guess nobody thought about giving him a promotion when you're the only, the last of the military dudes left. I guess it doesn't matter when you're the highest ranking military guy. I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think he only made Admiral, Admiral. After. <laughs> after. Old girl got killed because right. he had he had control over both ships. You had to have yeah. control over at least both ships, two ships. So that's why he got promoted. And so yeah. she automatically sort of became the head of the military because she already outranked Adama's character. Mm -hmm. But Admiral Kane 
was kind of mean and cruel. <laughs> she was a she's an asshole of yes. the worst kind. Yes. The worst and kind. One of the things then that ends up happening, she's having that affair with whatever her version of six is. Gina. They discover she's a Cylon. She gets captured. She gets thrown in a cell. But then the crew basically just beat the crap out of her because she's a Cylon. Mm -hmm. And so she is getting tortured as a prisoner. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, she's just getting raped by security guards and all of this stuff, you know, because she's a Cylon. And that is something that honestly, when that had come out, that was shortly after some of the stuff was exposed on what we were doing to prisoners um, in Iraq. It wasn't those type things necessarily. I'm just saying it was after that had happened. And the way that happens, you, obviously you feel horrible for the character that this is going on. But on the other hand, at least in terms of the beating the crap out of her, a part of you almost understands why that happened. I'm not <laughs> condoning it. I'm just saying you can understand why people would take that viewpoint and do those horrible things. They're at war and they just find out that she's on the side of the enemy. That killed, you know, 99.9% of the population. You're mm -hmm. probably going to be a little mad and want to take that out on somebody who you have. Sure. That did that. Sure. Um, I, I'm not like you. I, I condone it in no way whatsoever. But from their viewpoint, you get it. But it got to it got to a point where it was just inhumane. And it's weird to use that word because, you know, it's a Cylon. And that's probably why they had no less of a problem doing that to her because she wasn't human. Yeah. You know, that and unfortunately, when you talk about issues with, you know, torture and things of that nature, a lot of the times the people, you know, that are the captors don't consider their captees human. They think of them yeah. less than human. And it makes doing what they do to them tolerable if you don't think of them as being the as, same as you. human. Yep. And yeah. I mean, we do that now to humans. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so yeah. she she wasn't even a human. And then when you factor in, I mean, you're exactly right. That's on top of the horribleness of it you do have that sort of parallel of not human you're not human you're less than so it's okay that we do this because we're not equals you're below me mm -hmm. yep and like we said uh oh girl was she's an asshole like i'm gonna go ahead and just yes. say she was she was a sociopath she was probably well cut out to be a, a ship captain but she was also a freaking sociopath because Yes. In the related episode to this, which is Pegasus, um, this picks up after the events of Razor, where the Galactica finally encounters Pegasus and old girl is like, uh, I outrank you. I'm taking over both ships, blah, 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 blah. No, I'm not giving supplies to the civilian ships. No, all of my people are going to go ahead and take over roles that your people have held. She pretty much took over everything. She didn't want to hear Jack shit up. You know, Adama, right. you know, was talking about. Adama was a good military man. He wanted to obey, you know, the ranking. He was going to do his job still. And then you find out, you know, as that episode goes on, that she's really like a freaking monster. You know? Yeah. 
she did not handle the wiping out of humanity very well. No, but some tells me, <laughs> some tells me she was always like that. This is exasperated. Yeah, this is exasperated how horrible she was. Because I think there was a a story that her exo told Ty, you know, about her shooting her former exo because he wouldn't fall in order, and that's how he became second. Right, <laughs> she baited him. <laughs> Yeah, she <laughs> he got a Darth Vader promotion. <laughs> I, f- I find your lack of faith disturbing. Bloop. So yeah, that's how he got the role because his predecessor got blooped. And he tells Ty this story, and Ty's like, uh, Adama, you need to know. Adama's like, What? I'm trying to follow the chain of command here. I'm trying to be a good military man. But, you know, as you find out in later episodes, she got blooped uh by, you know, one of her own people. So there's that. But yeah, she was yeah, and then the president promoted Madonna. <laughs> yeah, she gave him the nice little, the nice little, um, what you call it, little pins for his new rank. Ad, ad, his admiral pips. Pips, thank you. Yes. She's like, I found somebody in one of those random ships that can make replicas. Here you go. And he's like, I don't want this. She's like, take it. Yeah. He's like, fine. <laughs> he's like, it doesn't really come with a pay increase, and I feel like it might be more responsibility. <laughs> Yeah, if that's, that's possible that's, but that was a also a good one but Both between razor and pegasus telling the story about about that particular crew so yeah and it is tough to watch what uh, that particular six gina went through mm-hmm, um, i'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was horrible it it was tough and once again trisha helford played that character so well that's the thing about all of the actors that played Cylons. There were certain models, you know, the two model, the five model, the eight model. And while they all sort of had certain attributes, personality-wise, that were the same, they were also unique individual characters because once they came online, they all lived a different life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they were all slightly different. And for the most part, I feel like the actors that portrayed the Cylons where they portrayed more than one version of the character all did a pretty darn good job it's interesting i agree with that and it's interesting that the two numbers that were kind of held up to be like heroes uh the sixes and the eights the Mm -hmm. sixes because you know the involvement of original six with gaius uh that start off the whole mess and then the six is because the original six copy that was on the Galactica shot Adama. So that was like they were held up as like being heroes of the mm. Cylons. And they were the they were the two that got together. I can't remember what other right. name they got together with saying uh, maybe we should not wipe out the humans. Yeah. Yeah. We spent time um. amongst the humans and they're shitty. But they don't deserve this. And they were and the rest of them yeah. was like, hold up. No, we got a plan. We- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was the it was the eight that shot uh Adama because it was Boomer that did it. That's what I said. Oh, I thought you said six. Yeah, it doesn't matter. No, I said but- six first, and then I said eight. Yeah. yeah. Right. It doesn't matter. Anyway. That episode, yeah, I'm thinking the episode um where uh Sharon, she's gotta go plant the bomb on one of the Cylon ships, and she comes across like all the copies of her and she finally realizes what she is. Yeah. She's like, Oh my God, they're all me. And I'm like, yes, they're all useless. You you aren't as peopley as you think you are. (laughs) No, no. I do want to touch on one of my, um, 
other favorites. And this is like a more, I guess, a more personable episode. It's not a plot driven episode. It's more like a character driven one. Um, Unfinished Business. That mm-hmm. was season three, episode nine. And that's where um, they clean up and reestablish an old boxing ring. And oh, the crew, yes. Yeah, the crew does matches against each other. And it it takes place. It switches back and forth from the boxing matches to their time on when they first got on New Caprica. And so... You know, everybody that wanted to fight would put their dog tags in a box, and that's how they would pull to see who their opponent was. So eventually, um, Starbuck and Apollo get in the ring together. And like we said before, Starbuck wasn't no joke. She was completely aggravating, but she wasn't no joke. And her and um, Lee get to boxing, and it gets weird. Let's just say, let's just say that because they had such a history of being on again, off again, whatever they were. And when they first got on New Caprica, as you see in the flashbacks, they actually finally declared their love for each other. You know, had a romantic night under the stars of this 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 new planet of theirs. And then the very next morning, she disappears and shows up a couple hours later with her new husband, who is not Lee. <laughs> and <Yeah>. Lee is pissed. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is why he ended up marrying, uh, what's her face? D, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll show you. I'm like, what the heck? What? Why? And then, of course, to have the ultimate tragedy happen to find out your husband is a Cylon that comes later. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, that was basically the, the premise of that episode. And like I said, it's a character driven one. It doesn't it doesn't move the plot along at all, but it's a character driven one in that you get to see not just the two of them, but how some of the other characters are. I guess in a way, working through their their personal demons as best as they can. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. And and eventually, Adama gets in the ring. You know, Admiral Daddy gets in there and starts uh, getting his tail beat, and he's in there to prove a point that we have a job to do still, and we can't we can't get distracted by this. He was it was like he was kind of he could see his people getting wound up too tight or unwound one or the other. And that's why he, he, he was fine with them doing the boxing, but after a while he saw where it was, it wasn't, it wasn't doing what he thought it was going to do. He wasn't thrilled. Yeah. At first it was kind of like therapy for everybody, but then Mm -hmm. it jumped past that to negative. Yeah, it really did. And by that time, by the end of the episode, you know, you got Starbucks and Apollo though. They pretty much beaten, beaten each other in the submission, they can barely, they can barely stand up. And then, <laughs> you know, here comes Starbucks hubby and here comes D and she sees Lee. And then the two of them see Starbucks and Apollo give each other the eyes. And they're like, Oh Jesus, what the, <laughs> these idiots are in love with each other. And we married them. <laughs> yeah. Uh Oh, we, we goofed. <laughs> yeah. Basically. But that's one of my favorites for that reason. Like, I can't say that Starbucks and Apollo were two of my favorites. They just got on my nerves too freaking much. Especially Apollo. He flip-flops so much. Like, who told you to be Gaius's lawyer? Anyway. Right. So he like I said the two of them got on my got on my nerves a lot, but that episode, they were especially interesting. And they were sympathetic. Really. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You saw two people that had been dancing circles around each other for years. And now they're stuck with each other. And neither one of these grown adults can, are big enough to say that they love each other and then just let it be. They, they can't do it. They won't do it. They won't do it. Yeah. That's yeah. one of my favorites. Well, they do. There is that interesting backstory of Starbuck having been engaged to uh, Apollo's little brother. Right. And then, you know, her inadvertently causing his unaliving. Oops. Yeah. Oops. So there's that. Yeah. Spoiler alert for an almost 20 year old show. Good Lord. Good Lord. Have mercy. Right now. But um, if you want to, I kind of want to get into, I guess maybe this will be our final chat. Um, the series finale, the three parter daybreak. How about that? Uh, we can we can definitely do that. There is one thing though I would like to point out, and it's something that I feel is, in terms of what's going on in the world right now, for something that came from a fictional series, is perhaps one of the most important things that you can think of. Um, if you don't mind me playing that real quick, and then we can finish with the three parter in, in the series. You all right with that? Okay, well, let me uh, pull the share screen bit back up here. Here we go. Uh, here we go. I'm not going to be your policeman. There's a reason why you separate military and the police. One fights the enemy of the state. The other serves and protects the people. When the military becomes both, then the enemies of the state tend to become the people. Yep. Yep, that's true. And the... A fine example of that, unfortunately, was a was a girl, Admiral Kane. Yeah, horrible. Like she was supposed to be there to serve, you know, the colonies, and she turned around and ended up making this all about her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like she was. If there was any human that was an ultimate big baddie, so to speak, it was really her. And in a way, I was glad to see her go. And in a way, I wasn't. Because she added some spicy to it, but she was absolutely insufferable. Oh my goodness. Yeah, for sure. That's just, I don't know if ever there's something from, I mean, there are lots of things, but that's just one of those things that, yes, it came from fiction, but oh my God, does that is such a perfect thing for the real world. Well, (laughs) the people need to remember the real life informs fiction, and fiction informs real life. Real life. It all has happened before, and it all will happen again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, so. I just sometimes something will happen on the news to see something, and I was like, I guess the people doing that had never watched Battlestar Galactica or Adama. Indeed, but Indeed. anyway, he was—he's a wise man. Yes, I especially liked his hobby of building ships and bottles. That was very interesting. Yes. Yes, but, definitely. Um, but yes, now let's move on to the the <laughs> conclusion, and then we can just briefly touch on Caprica and Blood and Chrome, just briefly. So the finale of the series uh, was the three-part season four called Daybreak. And basically, the basic breakdown is that they finally, after a lot of him and Han and jumping and jumping and jumping and fights and sex and arguments and trials and, you know, sedition. 
and um, occupation, they finally uh, find their new home. Is it the Fable 13 planet? Is it Earth? The very end of it kind of hints that it is. But I think that's I think that's something that's been always up for debate. It didn't even matter what the showrunner said. It's always been up to debate for debate as to whether or not is that Earth? Because one of the one of the children that was the product of a Cylon and Cylon relationship, they mentioned at the very end that you get a bit at the end where you've got eventually there eventually when um Gaius has his head six, uh the Sharon version of six gets her own head Baltar. Right. It's a lot. I know the two of them are at the end of the show discussing, you know, the whole, this has happened before this will happen again. And they talk about basically how the product of the Cylon Cylon relationship, which is uh, the six and Colonel Ty, their baby becomes what scientists have called mitochondrial Eve in which this is the woman that, all of humanity has descended from in the real world. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty much what they're saying. What happened in this story is actually the origin of all of humanity as we see it right now. It's a right. mind blower. I love it. But people had issues with the ending, specifically with what happened to Starbuck. Right. Because she had actually gotten, quote unquote, unalive during season, what, two? Yes. Was it? Or was it the end of season? No, she was on she was on Caprica in season one. I remember that. Right. It might yeah. Been season. It was season three. It was season three. She she supposedly had uh, crash landed, and they assumed right. that she was dead. Right. And she appears some episodes later in, in the season three finale, and everybody's blown back. Like everybody had been grieving. Mm-hmm. Since that right. happened, because they assume that she's dead. And then she just shows up, you know, Apollo's out there flying. And then she just rolls up next to him. They see, you know, they get a radar hit. There's a there's a ship coming in. It, they can't identify it. And it's her. Right. And she's like, hey, I've been gone a couple hours. They're like, bitch, you've been gone for months. What happened to you? <laughs> right. Yeah. The funny thing is the real world reason for that is Katie Sackhoff got cast as the bad guy in the reboot, ironically enough of the bionic woman Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. she was also a bionic character but after so she had filmed the first season but it ended up getting canceled after like episode five and so then you know she's like hey i'm suddenly free and they're like oh we want you back basically (laughs) and so then they had to get creative with how she returned and they took her name out of the opening credits and everything yep and so then they had to get creative with how she leaves (laughs) Exactly. And like there's a whole a whole bunch of, you know, theories about who she was and what she's was supposed to have been after she reappears. And Sackhoff herself says she was a spirit. And her only purpose after she was quote unquote reincarnated was to lead them to their new home. And yep. when she was done, she was done. That's what she says. I tend to take her word yeah. over, you know, everyone else's, but there have been theories, you know, she was half Cylon. How was that? Yeah. No. How are we saying that? I mean, granted, her backstory that you get in bit and pe- bits and pieces over the series indicate or hint at her being um, different. Different. She was abused, unfortunately, as a child. You can tell that. Her mother was also a pilot, 
but unfortunately in her later years had turned to a lot of drinking and was verbally and physically abusive with, with um, young Kara. So you can understand why she is the way she is, but I don't know that I ever got an indication that she knew her father or her father was involved. So I guess that were, that's where people got stuck on the whole, she's half Cylon. Right. Well, where from? Why, why is that supposed to make sense here? If she yeah. was half Cylon, why wouldn't is she, is she sympathetic to her human side? Is that what you're saying? I don't, because by the end of the show, there was like a race between the fleet and some of the Cylons to get to that planet. Because they both right. wanted somewhere to settle down. Yeah, and that's uh, we should probably mention that in season somewhere between season three and season four, there was actually a Cylon civil war. Mm-hmm. Yep, where some of the models started sympathizing with humans and wanted to be on the human side, and that includes the skin job and the toasters. Yeah, so there were yeah. the actual uh, Cylon robots. And that is when they brought in the classic Cylon robot design Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they were part of part of that as well. And um, because there was that civil war and that split that led to the big, big battle at the end where they're like, well, this is where all of the comebacks places for all of the skin jobs, you know, and we need to go and destroy this, which led to that huge huge battle and everything's about to crack and they don't have the coordinates on where they're going to go. And they have like 30 seconds. And then finally Starbuck puts in the last number and sends it out to the fleet and they all go. And then bam, they're here. They're here. When you think about it, it makes sense that that was her only purpose. I mean, it was interesting. I think it was a real creative way, like you said, to tie her back into the series and then have everybody just pretty much guessing from that point on, well, what the heck is she doing here? What is she, is she reincarnated? Is she, what is she? Right. That's, that's part of the, I guess the fun of watching the show, trying to read into everything that she's doing trying to figure out what is she and what is she doing here? You know? Yeah. And of course there was the whole, they get here and they're like shocked that, you know, they're all, what are the chances that humans developed independently on a different planet? Mm-hmm. And then um, Paul Tarr is like, and everything's right. We can even reproduce and have babies with them. And yeah. Adama does that one quip of, <laughs> there's always just one thing on your mind, Baltar. <laughs> and he's like, hey, wait, we got to repopulate humanity. And then Adama's like, yeah, you also can't take a joke. <laughs> And you're right. You'd be hard pressed to to figure out an approximate number of how many little Baltars there were running around on Earth <laughs> at a certain point. <laughs> Forget mitochondrial Eve. It's going to be little Baltars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> RNA Baltars. <laughs> All of them. Just random, random little... Uh, uh, little ethnicities, little different little flavors of Baltars. That's what's going to be. He's all running around. He he was uh, he was Genghis Khan before Genghis Khan. Little ginger Baltars, little Middle Eastern Baltars, little Swedish Baltars. <laughs> Every continent had their own Baltars. <laughs> can you trace your fan back to Baltar? I sure can, cousin. Damn Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh boy, you wanted to touch on the the two um, sp- uh, spinoffs. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one season of a show called Caprica, which is the it's a prequel series, and it kind of explains how the Cylons came to be. Before that, there were there were robots, but they weren't what you would maybe call sentient robots, like uh, the Cylons ended up being. And in this world, there was this big VR kind of thing that people would go in into and that with the daughter of sort of the main character the guy that kind of invented the cylons and then they also have adama's dad in there who was an attorney but also may have slightly been a dirty attorney because his family was their version of the mafia (laughs) yeah i i i vaguely remember the overall plot i think i maybe watched a couple of episodes. It didn't. It didn't pull me right like Galactica did. So I tried yeah. though. And it had um. Oh, dang it! The original the the original actor who played Marty McFly, who was then in this Fly sequel, has the red hair. Can't think of his name. Anyway, he Stoltz. was Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. Yes, thank you. And then uh, the guy that played Adama's dad, Isai Morales. Yes, thank you, Isai Morales. And I love him. It's only like 12 episodes. I think the reason a lot of people didn't like it is because it's such a completely different takeaway from what Battlestar Galactica was. It was almost more, I don't know, Dallas meets <laughs> a sci-fi world in a way. Dallas um, meets, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was more like that than it was the typical sci-fi uh with Battlestar Galactica. And it was even it was even more of just barely in the world of sci-fi than Battlestar Galactica was. I might give it another try. I and then just, I think you should. Just to just to see how much more it ties into, you know, the original series. I might give it another try, to be fair. Yeah. And then there was also Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome, which was released strictly on on uh, the web Mm-mm. and they were mm-hmm. i think it was 10 10 minute long episodes and then when they were done it did eventually get aired on sci-fi network as like a one hour movie right and um that one is about uh admiral adama when he was mm-hmm. just lieutenant adama mm-hmm. when he was a fighter pilot in his first assignment aboard the galactica but when the galactica was a nice beautiful 10 year old ship and his uh, call sign was Husker. Yes. I don't know that I ever understood why, but it didn't matter. <laughs> he he I was did... a big fan of Nebraska. Is that what it was? <laughs> Are you just you know what? That makes it that makes just as much sense as anything. Right? Honestly. <laughs> there may have there may have been still college ball somewhere. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Or whatever whatever sport they had that Samuel played. With throwing the ball, pyramid. Yeah, pyramid. It may have been like a college level version of that. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows on the farm planet? Who knows? <laughs> um, I'll. I have not watched Blood and Chrome since it came out as the the one hour movie. Mm-hmm. I I vaguely remember parts one and two more than the rest of it because I tried at first to watch it as it came out on the web 
but it wasn't like a regular time where it came out. So like when episode three or four came out, I went back and watched, you know, the first 10 minutes to kind of remember what was going on. So um, I do not have super detailed memories of blood and chrome. And so now I'm thinking I need to go back and watch that, that whole hour. It's fair. It's fair. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I think I might've watched the first episode when it was online and I didn't come back to it, but I, I think I might do the same. And I had to make a correction here too, to something I said earlier about, um, the little baby that ends up being mitochondrial Eve. Mm -hmm. That was actually the daughter of number eight, uh, Oh, and Tyrell. And, uh, uh, uh no, not Tyrell. Um, Athena in Helos daughter. Yeah. That was, that was her Hera. So my correction, it's a cute girl. Whoever they got to play that part, she's really cute. But, um, so that was the Cylon slash human couple, man. I know Helo took, he took mad heat for falling in love with a Cylon. Like, yeah. Yeah. One thing though, I think though we would be not doing you know a service to the people listening and to us if we don't discuss how they actually once they get to earth hey we're here they knew they couldn't go on in their way of hiding from the remnant of the cylons because they had basically destroyed them but there were some that were still out there is that mm-hmm. is it you know mm-hmm. we're just talking about right was it what him? do you do no it was starbucks husband um yes sam Sam. He was. They had plugged him into Galactica because right, he was he had, yeah, yeah, he had basically gone comatose, mm-hmm. but he was still. You could kind of do whatever, and so they basically then re-networked all of the ships, even though they were all unnetworked. They re-networked them. All of humanity went to Earth because the idea was if we go to Earth, where it just has all of these people that are living in the Stone Age and is primitive. And we go Stone Age, we can hide from the Cylons because we won't yes. have any technological signature for them to discover. And then they they re-networked all of the surviving ships, plugged Sam into the Galactica, and then he flew the entire fleet into the sun so that they could mm-hmm. completely eliminate all traces of technology. And they wanted to, and they also wanted to start fresh because they realized the reason why they had gotten to where they were is because of technology. Right. And they wanted to start fresh and destroy anything that they had. So humanity wouldn't get themselves in the same trap that they had been in before, which of course happens again because it always happens again. Right. Like that was the thought. They were being optimistic finally at the end. <laughs> yeah. But you know, hey, it took another what, 15 15- thousand years or whatever it was for that to happen you know. so they they did delay it so if there are still cylons out there at least they've had a long long wait and maybe in all of those thousands of years they've forgotten about us perhaps perhaps i think now that i think about it, i think some people that believe in creationism have real trouble with this <laughs> right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i hadn't thought about that but yeah <laughs> I mean, I imagine they probably had issues with the show, period, and didn't watch it. But if you sat down and explained this to him and saying, did you know that humanity started with 
the offspring of a human and uh, a human created uh, synthetic organism, they'd be like, <gasps> yeah. And if you have type O, you're, you're more silent than human. Oops. You skin job. Anyway. <laughs> That's right. You partial toaster. That's why you like toast so much. <laughs> but yeah, that is though some themes though, that we also briefly touched on. And there are a lot of correlations between uh, racism. Mm-hmm. Um, not wanting to help your fellow man, strangely enough, when you're in that situation, because they still had the sort of a, a class system. Do you keep oh, yeah. people as prisoners when there are only 50,000 of you left? Or do you Pretty try much. to reincorporate them into society? Because you would have to think that you might be a shitty person, but if you're like, there are only 50,000 of us left, maybe I need to not be so shitty. So here's the thing. You might be thinking along those lines. I you know, we need to give even those people that we may have branded uh, undesirable at one point. There's only so many of us left. Let's give them another chance. Just because you get enough to give them another chance doesn't mean they'll be good enough to do any better. That is also correct. That is just humanity. And we suck at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we do. If you go and look at wars that we've had, you know, we always have nicknames kind of that you call the bad guy. Mm, right. Yeah. You know, uh, Germans were Jerry's. Mm-hmm. Um, the Japanese were, you know, Japs. Yeah. You know, the Japs and so Those are just people that we're at war with. That doesn't even include yeah. just the other people that we're keeping down because of colonialism. Oh, yeah. Colonialism, capitalism, patriarchy going on. Yeah. And, Any you know, sense- that's skin jobs, Sorry. toasters. You know, that yeah. was sort of their terms for that. Anytime you have civilization, no matter how many people it's made of, you're always going to have a lower class. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, inevitably, and I—it's it, one of those—it's one of those shitty things about being about humanity. Mm-hmm. One of those shitty things you can't get away from, and this this show expressed that quite clearly. But yeah, and like, I I get it. If you are in a situation where you have to, you know, kill the people that you're going, psychologically, it makes it easier if they are othered. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. So Most definitely. I get that. It it is a it is a part of the show. It's not a huge part of the show and it's not even like mentioned other than they call the robot Cylon toasters and the human one skin jobs. You know. Mm-hmm. But like we were saying earlier, there's so many things that are commentaries on sort of normal society but they just wrote it in as everyday life in the show. This is one of those things. And it's one of the reasons why the show was so well and so, you know, produced and everything and why people are still talking about it 20 years later. They, they rarely, they rarely, even if they, even if an episode or two or three had a point to make, it was hardly ever heavy handed. It would be a subtle, you know, a subtle mention. This is this, the episode with, um, the widow, I can't remember what happened to her. Something happened to her husband. He got unalived 
during something that had happened in a previous episode. So she has to get a bomb and she takes all these people in the bar hostage. Um, that was an interesting commentary on what happens to the people that get left behind those instances. Granted, everybody's everybody is in the same boat, mm-hmm. so to speak. There might be, you know, 200 something boats or whatever, but everybody's in the same boat. We are all in the same predicament. Just like you said, it's an underlying commonality that all these people have, but they still manage to still have these kinds of conflicts. She's pissy because something happened to her husband. She feels like Adama didn't handle it the right way. So she's going to make sure she gets what she wants. I'm like, lady, and I like the actress, but I hated that character. I'm like, lady, these people, everybody has bigger problems than this. Not to say we don't feel sympathetic for your loss, but come on. Right. People do not have all day to be dealing with this. I mean, there are bigger things. Let's be fair. (laughs) If there are only 50,000 people left, every single human alive lost multiple, not someone, multiple someones. How about that? Double digit someones. Like Lee got lucky. His daddy was right there. Yeah. You know, Starbuck got lucky because even though her mother was gone, you know, uh, Adama was basically her surrogate dad. Right. So they had their family there. Like you said, most of the rest of those folks, they lost somebody's. And for you to sit up here and disrupt these people because you want justice, girl, calm down. Yeah, <laughs> but not that the loss like of that. your somebody isn't important. Right. But your somebody isn't important er than the other people's somebodies. Not to drag out, but this reminds me of a, another show, kind of an apocalyptic kind of The Leftovers. Mm-hmm. Right. That was on HBO. Um, I don't know if you remember was it the second season. Um, Liv Tyler, she played a, a uh, an antagonistic role. She was like the leader of the guilty remnant, which was the cult that sprang up after the mm-hmm. the disappearance of the people. And she kind of she was like a pseudo leader, but she was a really really shitty character. And you finally got an episode backstory that showed you why, because. The day before what they called the departure, where 2% of human beings at random just disappear, the day before this happens, her mother passes away. And then the very next day, this happens. And all of a sudden, she's pissy because everyone's overlooking her grief because the whole world is grieving. And that's pretty much what makes her what she becomes, a shitty person, because she believes she didn't get the space to grieve because everybody else was grieving. She couldn't be the center of attention and receive the sympathy because now worldwide people right. have this same issue. That's what that reminds me of. You mean to tell me you can be that self-absorbed and mind you, we sympathize for your loss. You can be that self-absorbed to put all the rest of these people in danger. Right. Because you didn't get what you believe is the right kind of attention or you didn't get justice or you didn't get, the- it's, it's wild to me. We got this going on, but you human beings have the tendency to still fall back into the same shitty habits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. When we people, we people hard. We do. Sometimes that people in is wild. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so like people do, we're going to 
I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks for hanging out with us for these two episodes. We had fun, as you could probably tell. And of course, stay tuned. It's always, sometimes it's a surprise to us what we're doing next, but it'll be something. So join us again. And on that note, Jack, can you take us out? Yeah. Appreciate everybody listening. If you would love to support us, or if you would just like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash hyperfocus pods. Bye. So say we all. 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 And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.